Good morning. Oh, okay. I'll give you guys a sec. Yeah, good morning. See, after that hip-hop intro, I don't know if I can live up to the, the intro there because the hip-hop intro, I think, was pretty sweet for that video. And we're only going to use it for one week. I mean, think about that. So let me pray. And we're, we're, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 today. This is just a one sermon, one off, beginning of the year sermon that I think is really important for the church to hear right now. And so we'll be in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. So let me pray, and then we'll get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your grace, your mercy in our lives. We thank you that we have started a new year It's another year that we are blessed with you and salvation in you. And so if we don't know you, if if we've spent years and years of turmoil trying to figure out what our relationship is with you and what that looks like, Lord, give us clarity this year. Allow us to see the opportunities, the hope that you give. God, help us to, as we look into your word today, To see that the grace that came through Jesus Christ is for each and every one of us. You come to all different people. Lord, we thank you that we were able to meet together as a church. And we were able to to worship you together. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight. And I'd like to welcome you here to our in-person service and our online service today. Today we're going to be in the chap- in Titus chapter 2. I'm really excited about this because there's an idea that we only get one chance at things. Have you ever, you know there's expressions like YOLO? Anyone ever heard of YOLO? YOLO. It's like you say YOLO when it's you're doing something you really shouldn't be doing. That's literally the only way I've seen it referenced. Like, YOLO, I'm going to go spend more money than I should. YOLO, I'm going to go bungee jumping. YOLO. It's just something, it's always something crazy. And so today we're going to talk about grace upon grace. So if you have our app, you can click at the link at the top of the feed and you'll find our digital bulletin and notes. So there's some announcements potentially that weren't announced that are in there. So you want to check there. Now what's grace? Grace is a word that's not always used in our culture. Um, It's used a lot in the church, and grace is undeserved favor. I'm going to give you some examples of grace. Grace is getting something for free from someone that you just treated terribly. Grace is like rain, or like, like a rainbow after a long day of rain. Grace is when God covered himself with the dirt of this world to rescue us, embrace us, despite our lack of self control and our dirty lives. God did that. When, when I was 16, I was just talking before the service with the worship team, and when I was 16, I got two tickets in one month. Anyone can ever get two tickets in like one month? Okay, there's a few of you. Wow, two of the elders. I'm impressed. Good job, guys. <laughs> I got two tickets in one month, and I went to court for both of them because I didn't want to like, I didn't have a lot of money, so I, like, if I didn't go to court, I would have to pay these huge fines, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to court, because I'm going to prove that I, I don't know what I was going to prove, because I did do what they said I did, so I'm in court, and the first one, I, I got a judge that knew I had both tickets, because they've got like a system that you look up, and they see all the tickets you have, and I'm like, 
And you knew I got both, and I answered all the questions honestly. 16-year-old shaking in my boots in front of a judge because it's traffic court, so you're just like sitting there basically, but it's like I was, I was afraid. I thought he was going to throw the book at me. And as a 16-year-old, I had a minimum wage job, which I was getting paid like whatever the training wage is, so I think that's like $5.25 an hour at the time. And I thought I was going to have to pay a large fine. And trust me, I was not one of those kids that the parents was going to pay the fine for, okay? My parents were like, you're, you own this. You own the car, you own this, you're going to pay the fine. And so I ended up talking to the judge, and he ended up sending me to traffic school and waiving any points on my record, which was what I wanted. Because if I got points, then my car insurance would go up, and then my parents would actually make me pay for my car insurance, which you know... That would be expensive for a 16-year-old. If any of you have teenagers, that's, that's very high. He was gracious in a way that I couldn't have expected. I mean, for all I knew, I was thinking, I did this. I was guilty of what they were accusing me of. I definitely was speeding. Okay, it was speeding. I was speeding. I knew I did it, but he still gave me some grace in that situation. And I, I didn't deserve it. I got two tickets. I basically... He already knew I still, I continued to drive like I was driving at 16, right? And so he knew that. I didn't deserve it. God wants us to live with the same grace that that judge exhibited towards others and towards me. Because God is the God of second chances. And he's also the God of third chances and fourth chances and 50th chances. It's a new year and it is a chance to live differently. Have you ever noticed that New Year's resolutions last three months. I've talked with the local YMCA and I've talked with them about how long the memberships last for the new people that get in membership at the beginning of the year. It's about three months. If you look at statistics, and I, I didn't look any up this week, but I just know from years past, it's about three months. The difference with God is we have this opportunity that's been available through God's grace and it doesn't matter if it's the beginning of the year and end of the year, what time it is, we always have that same opportunity. So today we're going to look in a letter to an early follower of Jesus Christ on how God's grace affects us today. And I'm going to read, I'm going to parse this out just verse by verse almost today. So turn with me to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to do 11 through 14. Starting in verse 11, it just says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Now that sounds like not, it's not that many words, but it's, it's a lot of content there. The grace of God came through Jesus Christ. His appearance was the grace of God in our lives. We've been rescued from what? From death and destruction. He shows us grace in that rescue. Because he changes our relationships, he changes our future hope and our status. But right here in this verse, God rescues us with his grace. That's, that's my first point here is that God rescues us with his grace. It's not that everyone's heard the message yet. You know, there's missionaries that are translating the Bible into new languages every year. There's whole organizations that do this for tribes all over the world in different languages so when he says that grace or the, the grace has come or it's bringing salvation to all people, it's that God's grace has come to all different types of people. God's not withholding grace from you because of your age, your wealth, your gender. I mean, 
Some cultures would have withheld things just because of those factors. He's not withholding this rushing water of grace that, that rushes and pushes us and, and, and gives us direction in our lives and sustains us. God's grace doesn't discriminate based on uh, what society says, these factors that society has. Now, it, it, it maybe if you've been in the church your whole life, you've said this over and over and you believe this, but it's also hard in action. You're not saved because of how good you are. You know, we say, we say oh, I don't believe that. or We're not saved because of our position in our life. Like, we may think, I've been going to church my whole life. I was practically born in a church, which we all know that's not true. Okay, there's no churches that are hospital. Well, there might be a chapel in a hospital, but. You might be saying that you've got enough wealth and God's blessed you because of that. You know, there's a whole group of people that, that preach a gospel that basically is, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have lots of money. It's called the prosperity gospel. But that's not true. But solely because of God's action through Jesus is how you are saved. On the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And then he actually ascends. Like in Acts, it describes him ascending to heaven. Grace has appeared because Jesus appeared. And appeared is a very important word. Now, I think of it like the poof. You know, if I were to like go like this and go, and then all of a sudden there's a poof, poof of smoke and I like I'm off the stage somewhere, you guys would call me a magician, right? Can I that's my second career. I don't really want to do that. No. That's not that's not this this what this is talking about is not just appearing out of nothing. It's a term to describe a hero or a god in a helpless situation that's rescuing someone from danger. It's it's that you're helpless. But what's the first thing we do in our lives? We create walls because we don't want to be known as helpless. And so we create those walls with others, but then we also create those walls with God. But if Jesus Christ is grace, and that's what he's all about, then you can go to God, you can raise your hands, you can close your eyes, you can get on your knees, you can say, God, I need you because I can't do it on my own, because I'm helpless. That's what we need to be all about. As followers of Jesus, we have grace, which is a personal action for us and a God that desires a personal relationship with each and every one of us. This action saved us from a helpless situation because of his pure love. The rescuing power of grace isn't a momentary event. It, sometimes, it, falsely, we pray a prayer and then we move on with our lives like nothing has changed at all. And that's the saddest thing for me because it's not an event. It's our whole lives. Everything is moving closer and closer and closer to God as we walk through our life. Titus, Titus 2, 12 and 13 continues this idea of, of both rescuing, but what's the next step once you're rescued? Once God's grace has rescued you, Titus chapter 2, 12 and 13 says, Training us to renounce ungodliness. What's training us? Grace. And worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great 
God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's just so much here. I, I love this passage because grace is something that we don't even give ourselves. And this passage shows us that we need to give some grace to ourselves as well. It trains us, it allows us to move from unhealthy relationships to ones filled with grace, filled with second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances, and two-in-the-morning chances, and you name it, it's another chance. God's grace changes our relationships both with ourselves, with others, and God. If God's grace hasn't changed those, then my question would be, is God's grace a part of your life already? Is it? Because God's, God's grace changes our relationships so we can say no. We can create boundaries. We can say no to ungodliness. We can say no to worldly passions. The, world, the word renounce there means ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. It's when you renounce something, you're turning the other direction, and you're continuing to renounce it. You're moving. It's a movement. It's not once. It's many times. That's what happens when grace enters your life and your life changes. We want to get rid of what stained us before, what characterized our relationships before God's grace. It doesn't end with saying no, though, because God wants us to act, too. But in this case, no is an action. No is an action. Isaiah, for example, when God challenged him, he said, here I am, send me. When Moses was challenged, he led to an action from a burning bush to leading a nation. Saying no is not just about the limiting of your capacity, it's actually about increasing your capacity. Because the second part of verse 12 tells us how to live in the yes. We're saying no to two things, but then we're saying yes. We need to say yes to building a relationship with ourselves. This sounds very self-helpy. Let me tell you what I'm getting at, okay? This means living self-controlled life. When it says self-controlled right there, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, everything that I have ever dealt with, with counseling people or, or dealing with marital issues or family systems or anything, always is self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We just can't control ourselves. Whether it's in an argument we want to be right, or whether it's how we uh, live life, how we eat, or maybe, maybe it's how much caffeine we drink, or whatever it is. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, and self-control also means you don't always have to be right. It's not making your opinion the only opinion that matters, because that's what a lack of self-control does. It's not taking that last drink when you know you shouldn't. It's not saying what you want to say at times. It's going instead closing your mouth, and exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. It's giving grace to yourself so you can live in the precious love of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, another part of this, if you're looking inward and then we're looking outward at our other relationships, is we need to say yes to being upright in our relationships. It means living in integrity towards others. It means not being crooked. It, literally, upright is the opposite of being crooked. Don't be crooked in how you treat others. It means we exhibit grace when others don't meet our expectations. How many times do we not meet our own expectations, and yet we expect others to meet our expectations? What are our expectations? Do we even know sometimes? 
It means we hold ourselves to high moral standards in our relationships with others. Godly in our relationships literally means to depend on God. So we need to say yes to being godly in our relationship with God. Godliness cannot come because we have the willpower. You can't will yourself to doing the right thing. Trust me. That's what every place will tell you. A completely secular rehab center will tell you there's a higher power. Why do you think that is? Because we can't will ourselves away from addictions and struggles. It comes, being godly comes from a relationship with God. Godliness is the result of a life honoring God. We can be like him with grace. If we're gracious to ourselves, to others. And sometimes we miss what the word godly is. You know, the phrase, what phrase is, does godly in that we commonly use? Cleanliness is next to godliness? Eh, I don't think scripture would, would defend that very well. <laughs> because, because the reality is, godliness is, is being close to God. That's, that's, the, that's the point. So to do this, we have to do it in the here and now. God's grace is here right now. Verse 12, the end of verse 12, it says it mentions the present age. It's fully realized in our future hope. So have you ever felt like something's not right in the world? If you're a believer, do you feel that there's something? There is something that's not right in essence. Jesus came and he's coming back. But in this in-between time, it's what's called the already not yet. It's Jesus' kingdom has already come, but it's also not yet finally here. And so God's grace is here in the here and now, and it's meant to be lived out now. Even though God has grace for us, we're motivated by that grace to live for godliness until Jesus returns. And it says even though we're waiting. Who likes waiting? Anybody? Anybody like waiting? You just like waiting? Okay, no one? I was just going to say, like, no one likes waiting, but, but we're waiting for what? This is the only thing I can have joy in waiting for, our blessed hope. We're waiting, living for grace, living in grace. Grace first appeared in Jesus, and now in the second coming of Jesus, the glory of God is coming. Jesus being born, dying, and resurrected was an act of grace. He's coming back in glory. God's grace provides for something that I think we don't think about, our past, so I mentioned earlier I got two tickets. God, God's grace provides for our past, it provides for our present, and it provides for our future, but it requires some change. It requires saying no to the world and yes to God in the present age. So let me ask you a question. And no matter if you're watching online or if you're here in person, are you committed to now saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions? Are you committed to saying yes to self-control, upright, and godly living? Because if we're followers of Jesus, we're waiting for our blessed hope for Christ to return again. That's, he's coming back. So some questions that I found that are helpful are, have we lost the ability to say no? To live a no? Have we lost that ability? Spiritual blindness will happen if we become identical to the world. If everything we do in our lives is identical to the world, then basically we're just denying ourselves nothing, just like the world. 
Just live in excess, no self-control, do whatever you want with whomever you want. The second question is, have we lost interest in living a yes? You know how quickly we lose interest? Our, our attention spans are very short, and I've mentioned this before, but our attention, human attention span is about eight to nine seconds. So in the time that I've been speaking, you've clicked back and forth between thoughts in your head and what I'm saying, I don't know how many times, because our attention spans are so short. And so if, if we lost interest in living a yes, you know how quickly we get off track, and that's why we need God even more, and we realize we're helpless even more when we start realizing how quickly that happens. We cannot do this on our own. Earlier in the, in the, the same chapter of Titus, it makes it clear, older women and older men are supposed to set an example for others. And then in verse 7, it makes it clear that we're all supposed to set an example for each other. We can't function independently. If anything I've, been, I've learned over this past year is we cannot function independently. We cannot go off on an island and do our own thing. That's not what biblical community is. We're part of a community and our actions will affect others. Francis Schaeffer, a theologian, said it like this. When we're willing to say no to ourselves, we are to be willing to say no to things in order that the command to love God and men has real meaning. So, in, in, in other words, if you aren't willing to say no, then you're not really loving others. Even in the things that are lawful to me, that don't break the Ten Commandments, I'm not to seek my own. I'm supposed to seek another man's good. It doesn't matter what it is. And I've noticed this. I, I read this quote last week, and I was, I was like, this is perfect for the sermon. And then I started realizing, I'm going to like apply this this week and think through how many times I do something that's good but not great. Like, in essence, it's good. It might affect me in a positive way, but it's not great for other people, and it's not for other people's good. And I started realizing how quickly the slippery slope is and how quickly we move from convincing ourselves or justifying that we're doing something for someone else's good, and we're really just doing it for ourselves. It's pretty quick that that happens. You've got to stop looking out for number one, you know? Number one, like, number one, anyone, you know, number one. You're number one, so anyone going to do this? Come on. Oh, no one wants to do that today. No one wants to look out for number one, right? We want to stop looking out for number one. But we need to be concerned and concerned is about the future. So concerns versus depression is something different. Depression is projecting on the future anxieties of the present. But the reality is concern is very biblical. We need to be concerned about the future of our marriages, our families, and church. We need to consider the long-term effects of addictions, of, of, of viewing pornography and sexual immorality and the future of our circle, of the people around us. We need to consider those things because our family, our marriages, and even the broader community are affected. And we, we need to be concerned about that. A better question to ask was one that I read this week. Brian Chapel said, we may be concerned about our community, but as we see the devastation, are we concerned about our complicity? Are we concerned about that we're complicit? We're the ones that are a part of that problem because we're not living in grace. 
We believe we can earn God's love, and that's just legalism. We believe that we can meet standards that are not found in Scripture for God's love. That's what the Pharisees did in the first century. And I can tell you, I could start naming churches that I've either known, been a part of, or been friends with, that that is part of what's going on. We add these standards that aren't found in Scripture. If we believe... that scripture doesn't matter, if we believe we can do whatever we want, if what we do doesn't matter, that's anti-gospel, that's anti-good news, that's anti-everything Jesus stood for. Because our lives are going to exhibit freedom from the passions of the world, then the gospel is going to make a difference then. Which leaves you with the third question I want to ask. Are we willing to act now? Like, today, are we willing to act now to live a no and live a yes? That sounds super confusing. So if you ever share someone this sermon, or you're watching online, you're like, okay. They'll be like, that, that's so confusing. But in the passage, it makes sense, right? So there's a better, no better time than now to live an undistracted life. There's no better time now to live an undistracted life. As we grow in our understanding of grace, we'll grow more intolerant of anything that keeps us from being close to God. We're called to action no matter what we are part of or what we're doing. We're we're called to action. What can ignite a passion for God, for his purposes, his priorities? And it's simple. Living a life of grace, powered by an overwhelming love for Jesus. My wife can tell you this, but one of my greatest struggles is if I'm stressed... I get, in, I get in, I want things to go the way I want them to go. I, it's a control thing. I'm like, oh, oh no, we didn't pack this right. Oh no, we didn't do this right. Or, oh no. And we all do that in different ways. But the reality is when you take a step back and realize in God's grace, it doesn't matter like how you pack something. It does matter if you're committing sins against others, but it doesn't matter like how you get to the right place because it's going to look a little different for each person. But the reality is that grace does cover over that. Grace is powered by an overwhelming love for Jesus. It's like the Energizer Bunny of our faith. Is If we have an overwhelming love for Jesus, then grace is going to be a part of our life. In our relationships with each other. There's one more change in this last verse. So turn with me to verse 14. It says, Who gave himself, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself for us. He redeemed us. It's simple. He redeemed us. Salvation is only through Jesus and his work. Our status with God has changed forever because of him. Grace has ushered in a new era with Jesus Christ. It's those moments, you know, I can say all this, and and there's, there's people all over the world that say things in a positive way. I've heard business speakers, I've heard... Uh, every different genre of speaker, if you've listened to a TED Talk, most of them are hopeful. When I go to God's Word and I read this, I think, well, this is true hope because this is really going to happen. 
This is really happening, and this really happened in the past, versus false hope. Anyone remember uh, Enron? Anyone remember Enron? There was a stock, like it was an energy company, and all of a sudden it was worth nothing, and all these people lost their, their essentially all their income, uh, and then they also lost their retirement. Because there was a lot of hope in something that was really, it was, it was a house of cards, it was fake. That's not what we have. Because God's grace changes our status with him. Our status has changed. That's a fact. Doesn't matter what other part of this, this is the most important part of this, is that our status has changed with him. Our status has changed in three different ways. These three ways are what make my faith so strong and joyful and excited when I learn something new about God. These are the things that are so important. One is that we are ransomed. The word redeemed literally means to release from the receipt of ransom. He was in our place. He took our place because of our wickedness and struggles. Like that, that, and, and some of us are like, well, I'm not wicked because there's always someone... We always start justifying when it comes to what we've done wrong. We always start to justify. It's like, I'm not really as bad as so-and-so. Or, you know, there was, there was someone recently that, that pointed out that a previous Olympic swimmer had basically doped. And I, I kind of thought it was interesting because what his doping was was actually taking vitamin B12 in liquid form. I didn't even know that was doping. But he took that, and then there's other people taking, like, human growth hormone, which is way worse. And he started comparing himself to them, like, I'm not as bad as them, but they both got the same exemption because that's just how the sport works. And I thought about it, and I thought, that's how sin works. It doesn't matter how small or how large it is. The effects of it on your life might be different, but the reality of it is the same. And that's our position because we all need to be ransomed. And then the second part of this which is so important, is we are cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. He purified us through his blood. In the Old Testament, there were various sacrifices. We don't have a sacrificial system where we set something on an altar and and we sacrifice it. There was a sacrificial system as a result of being unclean. That's where the term cleanliness is next to godliness comes from, actually. But that's not reality because you're just cleaning the external when your heart can be dark. We're cleansed once and for all through Jesus Christ. We're cleansed. So we're ransomed, we're cleansed, and then we're treasured. We're treasured. No matter what anyone says, I think all of us, in our deepest self, really just want to be received as who we are. We want to be able to to share everything with someone, and yet God's been saying, I'm there for you for everything. You're treasured. Jesus wanted us. Brian Chappell expands this by saying, the attitude of the Redeemer, Jesus, toward the redeemed is that we are precious to him despite the sin that required a sacrifice for him. You see how that's grace? He's giving us something that we don't deserve. Our relationships don't function like that. And it continues, these words breathe the grace that characterizes our God and should inspire us to do good works that please our Savior. So I'm going to ask this morning, 
that you do something. This will be a little awkward at home, maybe, but do it at home. Start leaning in. You ever notice if something's interesting, people lean in? You know, if you're at lunch with someone and they're leaning back in their chair, you're kind of like, eh, they're not really listening to me, but they start leaning in. Lean in to God's grace. Lean into God's grace like you lean in when you're crying on someone's shoulder. Just lean in. The moment you lose someone, that's the moment that God's grace appears as well. Cry into someone's shoulder. The moment you have incredible joy. I have very vivid memories of the birth of all my children and when I got married. Those are things that I just, I have like a pictorial memory. It's like I took a snapshot there. And in those moments, lean in. Thank God for the blessing that he's given you. Lean in when God's given you grace. As God gave you a second, third, thirtieth chance. Give others and yourself the same chances. Because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to be a grace giver. You know, before Jesus, I think that my process was like this when it came to disagreeing with someone. I'm going to get my way. I'm going to find the best way to make myself look the best to everyone I'm around, and I'm going to get, still get my way. But now, when Jesus changes your life, you go, you might, you might fight that, you might do that occasionally, but when you do it, you're like, I was wrong. And you ask for forgiveness. And you, you actually go to someone and say, I didn't give you the grace you should have had. We want people, and I'm sure whether you're a parent, whether you've been in life a long time, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how old or young we are. We want people to look at us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, and we want them to say, I want to live like that. I want to, I want to grow old like that. I want to be like that person as much as possible. You know, sadly sometimes, though, you know what people say about the church? You walk in and you put on a mask. It's sad to me. Because that's not grace. You don't walk in and put on a mask. You know, there's a, there was a, a meme that was going around a while back, and it, was, it was, turned out to be just a story. It wasn't actually something that happened, but it was talking about someone walking in and being clothed like a homeless person and everyone finding out that, oh, it was the pastor. And it's like, and they were basically very judgmental about it. And I thought, how many places do Christians go that we do that? That we don't give grace to others, realizing that it's not, it's not the external that matters, it's the internal. And we don't realize that part of that is because we've adopted things that the world's adopted. And so we need to be grace givers. So what? So what's the big deal? And why am I talking about this at the beginning of the year? Because honestly... I feel very convicted that, that not just our church, our community, but everyone needs to give each other more grace. I think one of the things that I find, uh, I feel like it's something that can't stick. When you're in a conversation and you know you disagree with someone else, what purpose does it serve to share your viewpoint when you already know you disagree? 
Not that they're not going to listen. That would be judgmental to say they're not going to listen. But I'm just saying, what purpose does it serve? And I've realized that being curious gets to the heart of what's really going on. Our emotions are an outgrowth of things that we believe, are an outgrowth of things that we do in our lives. And some of the things that we do might not make sense in the moment because we have these strong emotions about them. And so I think that grace is literally the bridge that changes that. God rescues us with his grace. Have you been rescued? Do you live like you've been rescued? Because I don't know about you, but you know what they did in older cultures when you were rescued? It was like a life debt. In ancient cultures, it was like you were rescued from death, and then you pursued and followed and served the person that saved you. Anyone ever read the book, The Count of Monte Cristo? It's a great revenge story, if I can say that. It's a classic literature. There's a guy in there that that gets saved, and then he has a life debt, and he serves the person that saved him. God rescues us with his grace, and he changes our relationships with ourselves, others, and God. I know some of us walked in here this morning, are watching online, and we are thinking in ways that is not gracious to ourselves. If anything, I want to grow in grace this year. That's what I want to do. That's what we need as believers in Jesus Christ. My wife knows this, that if I make a decision and then I realize how unsmart, I'm going to use that because my kids will call me out if I say something else, but unsmart the decision is, I'm harder on myself than she is ever on me. And so I don't deserve that grace from her, but honestly, I realize I need grace for myself. God's grace is here. It's not somewhere else. It's not just in the church building. It's, it's God's grace is here when you communicate with him, when you're praying, when you're in God's word. God's grace is here through Jesus Christ, but it's fully realized in our future hope. I don't think any of us has a, a full picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. And the thing is, when he comes back, it's going to be an aha moment. Like, ah, that's what it looks like. Wow. Wow. And the best part of that is, instead of our status changing when Jesus comes back, our status is already changed right now. Right now. Realizing that is a huge part of our faith journey, you might say. Our struggle in faith. Some of us are not living like we've been ransomed. Some of us aren't living like we've been cleansed. And some of us aren't living like we've been treasured. And I I confess, the first two I I totally both mentally comprehend and, and can act on. But that third one's really hard. I'm like, I'm treasured? I mean, God, do you realize how dark my life was before you? Do you realize, like, do you treasure me? I make mistakes still but our status has changed with him. We're treasured. I'm going to pray and we're going to continue our service in communion. And and one of the things that I absolutely love about communion is realizing that communion 
is symbolizing the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And that, that blood and body is the same thing that has done everything I've just talked about. He's rescued us. He's changed us. He's here. He's present. And our status is different. It's totally different. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for, for Paul's letter to Titus. We're thank you, thankful that you have given us an opportunity to get a small glimpse of your grace in our lives. That you've given us an amazing amount of understanding that sometimes we, we don't even grasp the depths of your grace. Lord, we just pray that if we haven't been rescued, God, rescue us. God, if we haven't, if we have not been changed, our relationships are not just the same, God, let your grace in, in, in infuse in everything that we do. God, allow us to see that God's grace is in the here and now, not in the past, not just in the future, but in the here and now, and that it's going to be fully realized when you come back again. God, help us to see our status with you. Help us to share the, the news that we have heard this morning with others so that they would receive God's grace too. God, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We pray this morning that you would bless the church in this new year, that you would bless our lives, that you would bless our pursuit of being gracious towards others and gracious towards ourselves and living godly lives. We say all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.